Last time, which was two weeks ago, so I'm sure you reviewed it while I was in Israel again, we dealt with Midrash Halakha. You recall? Well, we dealt with, with some... How do we know that you say a bracha before the food? And we ultimately did a whole sense of the way Midrash Halakha works, of perhaps this, what what happens if... You take the Sadashavek, you take a common denominator. What is the common denominator? What happens if it doesn't work this way? And in the end, they basically said it's Svara. It's really the logic that if you're going to say a bracha afterwards, you should say a one beforehand. And why was the reason of, of, of the Svara itself? Anybody remember? Asur, sorry. Whenever you get benefit from right, There, it is asur. It is forbidden for someone to gain benefit from the world without a bracha. It shows a sense of gratitude. It shows a sense of appreciation. So they couldn't prove it in the end from a biblical verse, which is what they tried to do. is post food, and what they were left with was saying. If it's post food, you say a bracha when you're already satiated, you've already filled. How, in a sense, how much the more so should you say a bracha before you eat when you are starving? And therefore, you want to give appreciation. That's really that whole section, as I said, was in a, a mode of uh, of <coughs> language, which is not, which is Talmudic, but really midrash halacha, which tries to get either to the core of the halakhic practice or substantiates the halakhic practice uh, in that realm. And that's what we did last time. As you recall, I took you through it rather slowly because the language, I presume it came out on the tape so people could follow it. Um, and we're now ready to, to move on. So in this book, we're on page 155 with the Gimel. I don't know the other books, so if somebody want to... 240. 240. 240 at the top of the page. And 35A5 in uh, Archibald. It's like the old, the, the, the old synagogues where they had three different machzorim. You announced three different pages. And the Biramam is here, and the Silverman is there. And nobody was looking anyhow. So. <laughs> so, they're now going to go back to that phrase. Tanu Rabbanan, this concept of everybody needs to be able to recognize that if you're going to gain benefit from the world, you should say so with a bracha. Okay, everybody's, everybody's okay with this? Yes. Thank you. So, we're at the Gimel, as you can see, um, which is Tanu Rabbanan. Somebody want to take? Nesya? Tanu Rabbanan. Okay, so they bring the first concept, which is the same one, Tanu Rabbanan. We, we, in a sense, we learned this above. It is forbidden for someone to take benefit from the world without a bracha. And then now they add something. And everyone who does so, ma'al. What is ma'al? Trespass. What's some Trespass to trespass. They're one of the Talmud Mishnah collections and one of therefore the Talmuds is Mi'ilah. There's a whole Talmudic book on it. Mi'ilah is literally to take something which is Kodesh 
and to profane it. Okay, to an animal which has been decreed for the temple and you use it inappropriately for your own work. Something which had been dedicated to the temple, money or otherwise, and you trespass by making that whole and by, by using it in your commerce. If it has been made Kodesh and sanctified through the procedures of giving it to the uh, temple precincts, it has to remain as such. You're not allowed to use it. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the temple already. So let's look at the... What, it's an interesting word, Ma'al, here. So it's not just Asur. Okay? It's not just forbidden in a ritual sense, but it's actually considered to be trespassing in a concept of sanctification. So why would they use the word Ma'al in this case? Why do you think? Right, your act. This it belongs to God. What your the food that you eat, or the bread that you're going to have, or the apple that you're going to eat, really belongs to God. It doesn't become yours as such to be able to use until you say a bracha. So it's a fascinating use of the word because it takes it out of that sense of kodesh and makes it whole. You're allowed to use it if you say a bracha because then you've acknowledged God same thing in, in turn if you've given an animal to the temple precincts okay or something sanctified you have to and, and you're going to use it you have to redeem it actually give one fifth more of its charge and take that money to Jerusalem and buy whatever it is there that you need to take care of so you can only use it when you make it whole when you profane it the same thing here so it's an interesting use of the word it's fascinating, in fact, from the point of view, because they know this is a terminus technicus. This is a, a specific technical term in ritual concepts, and they knew why they were using it. And if they don't catch it, you lose, in a sense, the, uh, the essence of, of the statement. Okay? Now, if what happens, okay, that you make a mistake, you didn't say the bracha. You're supposed to say the bracha, but now you didn't. Well, if in a legal way, in the ritual sense now, that's a problem, right? What do you do? Say the bracha twice the next time you're doing that? Okay, if you miss Shmon Esrei, if you miss Davening, you say Shmon Esrei twice the next time. You, there is a way of making up things. If you're supposed to bring a korban, a sacrifice, and you don't bring it, you have what's known as tashlumim. You get a, a second chance. So, you're supposed to, you're having a, you take an apple out of the refrigerator, you don't say the bracha, what do you do now? Let's see. Don't eat it, and I'll spit it out, right? <laughs> okay? My takante means, how do you fix it, literally? Okay? Who's a chacham? Your rabbi. Go ask your rabbi. You know, it's a famous words, right? <laughs> then you pick your rabbi, and if you don't like that answer, you pick another rabbi. Today you go out to Google, and you try to figure out which answer you like. And, you know. Yeah, so, right, tell me about it. So, you know, it's, oh, now it doesn't say rub, it says chacham, interestingly enough, of course. Meaning, you know, go ask a sage. The chachamim, right? Go ask a sage. Guess that's what I need. Uh, now there's somebody knocking on my door. I was supposed to eat the apple, and I didn't say a bracha. What do I do? 
Well, I was that? Yeah. The, the answer was, then the response of the Talmud is, what can the Hakam do? What's he going to say to you? Oh, it's too late. Well, next time yet you take it out of the refrigerator, remember to say the. My takante, what can you possibly, what can you, bring a korban, bring a sacrifice, add a special prayer, get tzedakah, say Hail Marys, and what do you do <laughs> under these kind of conditions? It's an odd thing, Yitz Yilech Yitz When I say Yitz Yilech what does it really mean? It's like, you know, watch, it's very, when you read some of these Orthodox um, books, whether it be um, with Kashrut or Pesach, it always says, go ask an authorized rabbi. It means not me, but somebody who's an authorized ra- rabbi. It always means, we're, there are all kinds of answers out there, but your postage should be the one who does it. That's what this says. Well, what, what does it really mean? They said, what can you do? The response? He, the, the, the guy did his, and he's sore. He's not supposed to do that. So what's the rabbi supposed to do? What's the sage supposed to do? At this what, how is it actually going to help? And now they give a real fascinating answer. <laughs> Uh, educators in our midst, this is a great, great statement. Okay? You go, eight to the sage, and learn the brachot right from the very beginning, and then you won't come to me'ilah. Meaning, it's all about education. Education. You want to train kids in brachot, you start them in preschool and at your home. Okay? It's like, you know, my grandchildren, the please and the thank you. Okay? Where do you learn that stuff? Okay? You learn it at home. You want to teach it? It says, but you, you know, the sage meaning in this case, send your kid to school, send your kid to education, let him learn the right way to live in a religious fashion, that this time they made a mistake, now the interesting part is means the person made a mistake he should have really gone to the Chama and learned all of this it should be part of your system and anybody who is sensitive to brachot you'll see before they eat or whatever they do they mumble the bracha you can see the lips moving uh, I, I mean, again I, I, you watch for these things I can see it uh, alright because that's just the way they live their lives and then Anything that that has said a bracha, there's no me'ilah, there's no trespassing, and they've not taken something of benefit from the world without recognizing God's presence in that item. So it's it's all about education. Okay, in that realm. Ah, okay, anybody who ben- takes benefit from the world without a bracha, ki'ilu nehenem mikotshei shamayim. How would you define kotshei shamayim? The sanctity of heaven, the sanctity parts of heaven. Why? Because God has presented you with this, and you're taking it for granted. The bracha ultimately is not taking for granted. So when you teach kashrut, kashrut isn't simply about going to the store and picking out the right foods. Kashrut ultimately is about his table manners, of saying brachot beforehand and afterwards, 
a preparation and everything else under the sun. It's all part of an eating system. We talked last year about table fellowship and how important it was in that day and age. It's all part of an eating system in which you express reverence for life, the sense of kiddushah, of holiness, and of acknowledgement that you shouldn't take anything for granted. So it's, a, it's all part of a system, again. And the system basically says here, if you take something that quote-unquote doesn't belong to you until you make it your own by acknowledging God, it's as if you're taking who does the earth belong to? God. Who does it, you know, simply belongs to this one. Anybody know where that phrase comes from? Very good, Tehillim. Which Tehillim in particular? I think 24. 24, it's all here. 24. Why is 24 important? Why is 24? Where You say it, some of you. It's actually 24 is a, is a psalm for Sunday. The psalm for Sunday. So Sunday mornings is the one you say it. Take a look at it. You know, that's not, no, no, but that's not a Shem That's going to be your next phrase. Well, that's the problem. The Shem is a, is, a, is the psalm for Sunday. Right? Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord and accept? He who's, who has clean hands and a pure heart who takes out in God vain swearing falsely. There you go. Look it up. Now we're going to come to your statement. What's the next one? It says the earth belongs to God. And... Yeah. That's Hallel, right? That one you all sing, right? Hashemayim Shemaim Lashem. God owns the heavens. Who owns the earth? Levene Adam. So I got two verses here. Lashem Haaretz Umloa. God owns the earth. And I have one says God is in the heavens and man owns the earth. Can't be both, can it? Ah. Uh, Lo <laughs> kasha. We can figure this out, and this is a this is a great a great way of doing this. Okay, kan, do it again. Start. Sorry, do the last phrase again. Kan. Okay, so one is before the bracha, one is after the bracha. Which one's before? Hashemayim shemayim lashem. And okay. Or, or, or in essence, Lashem Aretzum Loa, really. Lashem Aretzum Loa, belong, everything belongs to God. When you say a bracha, that's when it belongs to you. That's Hashemayim Dashem, Ba'aretz Natan Libnei Adam. Is there a bracha that an Orthodox farmer would make when he is reaping his fields and, and picking the apples off of his trees? Because he's taking these and making them his until he sells it to you. Good question. The answer is there is no real bracha at that point, not until you consume it. Okay, not in the picking, but in the consume in the consuming of it. Is there a bracha? So when if there's no bracha in terms of when he plants it, because he doesn't know if it's going to grow. Two, there's no bracha. He has to do certain things 
you know, if it's a, if, if it's things first fruits and those kind of things, etc. But there's no bracha at the point of him picking. There's no bracha from the point of view of him bringing it to the market. There's no bracha from the point of view of selling it. There's no bracha from the person buying it. But when you're going to consume it, meaning you're going to so, eat it, so that's what. So the farmer doesn't thank God for. In a, in a, in a bra- right in a bra- because picking the apples does not necessarily mean that they're going to be sold at market and somebody's going to buy them. There's still a lot of anxiety. It's not, you don't know what's going to happen. Okay. In, in essence, it's only when somebody buys in the market does the uh, the farmer really gain. Then what the, about a bracha when he sells it to the, to the market? It's a good thought, but there isn't one. Okay. No, it, it's a good thought, but there isn't one. But you also had in the beginning that you would bring your first fruits, that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Bikurim. Right. Right. Yeah. At least, you, at least right. Until the third year right. Or right. And you all the phrases army oveda viv etc. from the beginning from the Haggadah. So this has I mean again in this little passage you have education and enormous amount of theology, enormous amount of theology. They don't call it theology, but we would. And that is what we're temporary on this earth. Don't take anything for granted. Everything comes from the Kodesh Baruch Hu. It belongs to you. You don't have to not. You can gain benefit from this world. We're not ones who believe in ascetic kind of lives. We live in community. We don't believe Jews were never hermits and those kind of things and take vows against. Remember the Nazir. Even when the Nazir vowed that he wouldn't have wine or come near a dead body or cut his hair, he had to bring a sin offering at the end. And one of the reasons they say they had to bring a sin offering is because he should have taken advantage of the pleasures of the world, and he didn't. That's why we're here. Okay? We don't negate living in this world and taking advantage of both its beauty and its sanctity and all the good things that are part of it. But the question becomes how we do so, for what purpose, and do we recognize it? Either one. I recently learned the, the root of the word bracha. Derech. Because you're humble. Mm-hmm. Bowing. Bowing. Baruch, right. Mm-hmm. Same word. Mm-hmm. Right? So brachot are really sort of the express bus, if you will. The vehicle by which we acknowledge what you call theology. Right, right. No, I, no, we don't see it as theology, but it really is. It is. And it's a system that's involved because of the first part, I would suggest, of what they, they, they say about the Chachamim. To go, it's all about education. When do you teach brachot? You teach that as the early parts of life. And again, once you're in a pattern, you'll continue. Yeah, you'll once in a while forget. Clearly, I will do. You grab, grab something and, and without saying the bracha. Everybody does that. Okay. So, so sandwich gloves, uh, grab and go? <laughs> Good. You know, so, you know, I, I, I always said, you know, the, the, the issues related to pre- Jewish preschool is that's when you learn brachot. That's when you learn brachot. You're going to have your snack, 
should always be something accompanied with a bracha for that snack. So you know the difference in mizonot, and you know I watch my my, my grandchildren with this kind of stuff too. You know, and, and we, some we have different customs on different things we eat sometimes too. So they do Saba does that, and we do this. And that's the worst thing, you know. But I, I, in essence, it's that it's a whole reverence for life. We used to have tests on that. What? We had tests on that in my Hebrew. Yes, yeah. Brachot used to be big things. They used to be brachot. There used to be brachot bees. Yeah. Like spelling bees and those kind of things. It's not easy to know certain things. And, and, and again, some some of the stuff that was grafted, etc., are new stuff. That what do you what bracha do you say, etc. The worst is we said what do you say? Shakol. If you don't even if you don't know, you say shakol. So that, that's. But it, but it's a recognition. So I, I agree with you. There's an enormous amount of education and theology attached here, but they don't call it that. The, the Talmud just goes on to make halacha issues and this one and that one. But the Yavoy Zacham Sheliam Denu, that you should go to a, be a part of a, a learning community, because that's the way you learn it. And two, Shemaim Shemaim Lashem. You want to be part of this universe in a real sense and be a partner with God? There's a way to do so. There's a big question about that one. <laughs> you say a bracha over something that's not kosher. Uh, the answer, of, uh, I think, officially is yes, but it depends under what conditions. Yeah, I mean, it's a. And what it is. Yeah. Well, there's kosher not kosher. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? If, okay. What? The, because one of the halachas is what happens if you have to eat Yom Kippur? You say brachot. You say brachat amazon. Your answer is yes. You do. So it, it's a good question. There, there are differences of opinions, actually. In that one. Okay, so I think a fascinating little piece. Now let's go on. It's going to take it even further. Amar? Good. Ah. Ke'ilu gozel. Gozel means to steal. That you're going to rob both God and Israel. God, I can understand, right? We've just said this belongs to God. You haven't been given permission to really use it, eat it, partake of it, because yeah. you haven't done bracha. But Knesset Yisrael, meaning an entire peoplehood, this is what I would call, what I've called the, the vertical and the horizontal axes. We as a Jewish people have a vertical axis, as I would call it, which is a theology, which is a recognition of a faith. We also have a horizontal axis, which is our peoplehood concept. Okay, and that's a very part, very important part of who we are as well. And some people are motivated by the peoplehood part. Some people are motivated by the religious part. There is room for both of them, needless to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Talmudic term that's been translated. Yes, you can say it in terms of ma'al, almost trespass, uh, trespass the the emuna, the bitachon of the kahal, you know, uh, of the faith of the of the community. Okay, so this comes from Mishlei. Okay, gozel aviv imo. It's like you're stealing from your parents. The Omer. Ain Pesha. I really haven't done anything wrong. Why? It's my parents. It's going to belong to me anyhow, right? If I don't steal it now, I'll get it in Yerusha. I might as well take it now. 
He is part of a community of destructive people. Alright, so, you know, after all, so if I'm stealing from the Kodesh Baruch Hu, it really belongs to me anyhow. It's, it's here, I've worked for it, etc. Okay, where does that come from? Thank you, Hazinu. My Torah readers got to know that stuff. All right, hello, Avicha Kanecha, who was Chavayechonanecha. So, Ka'ena Vivela Kodesh Baruchu. God is ultimately the big father with an F, with a big F. Shinamar, hello, Avicha Kanecha. He is the one who created you. Great verse from Mishlei, which says, Shema Abini, listen, your child, son, to Musar Avicha, to the teachings of your father, the Altitosh, and don't leave, don't go away from Toratimecha, okay, from the Torah of your mother. And it's very interesting. So, what that, that simply is a, in Mishlei, you know, it's a statement of, of children to listen to parents and to follow their examples. Hopefully, good answer, good uh, examples. But they're now taking it as Shma Bani Musar Avicha. Who was the Avicha? God. Listen to the Torah, listen to what God has taught you, listen to everything else. The Altitosh Torah Imecha. And who's the Ima? Knesset Yisrael. The peoplehood concept. Don't leave, don't separate yourself from the Torah of your people. Okay, so, when you want to teach almost anything today, you know, it used to be, if you, you could stand on the pulpit and talk about Shabbos or Kasher things, it's Geshribin. The Torah says so. That was enough of an answer. Unfortunately, in, the, in today's world, that's not enough of an answer. So, you, I try to teach it both, on, if you will, on both vertical and the horizontal axis. There is both... A, a what we'll call a commandment or responsibility, but there's also a peoplehood concept which Kashrut and Shabbat in particular fall into and make the sense of this is what the Jewish people do, this is how the Jewish people eat, this is how the Jewish people sanctify a day, etc. And you use that in more of an ascetic kind of way, in a positive kind of way, than just simply saying it's written, it's expected you're going to do it. Those rules don't quite right. Right, I'm sure that was the generation. Right? Where are you Tyra, you know? Yeah. Right, that's it. It's not going to work. It's 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 right. You can say that, but it's that people are saying, so what today? You didn't say that. You didn't say that then. I understand that. I understand that. So, what, what this basically says here is this Musar Avicha, the Kodesh Baruch, who gives us a Tyra, and you should follow it. Don't boo it. And also, the Knesset Yisrael is involved in it. And remember all along that we have a number of either midrashim or metaphors of the marriage between God and Knesset Yisrael, Shavuos liturgy, Shira Shirim, and there's a contractor, the Ketubah. And what's the contractor Ketubah? Torah. That's what's given from the Avicha to the Imecha. And it's the people of Israel who have now have responsibility of keeping it and guarding it and, and uh, ensuring that it's appropriately uh, treasured. So this again, it's a fascinating use of verses. 
Okay, it's clearly the pshat is not. It's just simply said because Mishlei is all about chokhmah, all about wisdom and wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature is follow the teachings of your parents and your ancestors. Does one ever take over the other? Uh, does one ever take over another? There are there. Are, that's a tough question because I would say that there are a number of opportunities where there are issues. Example, um, you know you. It used to be a counselor at Ramah and, and all that kind of stuff. And you, before you'd leave the kids, go back to to, to from camp, you talk about well, what you're going to do when you get home. So many of the people came from non-kosher homes or non-Shabbos observing homes, and they got turned on to that kind of thing. Okay, so how do you mitigate living in the house, which that's not the rule of the house, and yet the child wants to become more observant? So the, the way the Torah took it, or the, the Midrash was, in the chapter 19 of Leviticus, um, uh, the, the, there's a, uh, it's, it talks about um, you have to keep respect for your parents, and keep the Sabbaths. And what the, uh, the Midrash or Rashi brings is that ultimately you and your parent are responsible for keeping the Shabbat, you don't, in that case, have to listen to your parent if you're going to desecrate the Shabbat. Now, that's a very tough thing because that means a household that's divided, etc. So you try to, to mitigate that through various things. There are other times where Knesset Yisrael becomes more important. I was teaching yesterday about what's the concept of a Mumar. A Mumar is somebody who ultimately um, leaves Judaism or remains within Judaism but cannot a, uh, in any way, um, leave, move out of the way, uh, move out of the realm of doing something wrong. Okay, there's different kinds of mumarim as such, close to heretics and those kind of things. Are they included in the community? Not included in the community. We have a concept: Yisrael Yisrael who, an Israelite, even if he sins, is still an Israelite. They're never thrown out of the community. And on the other hand, are there boundary issues? where you go beyond that boundary and you're out. I think most people would say today that the boundary issue is Jews for Jesus or Messianic Jews. Once you believe in Jesus, you're, you've taken yourself out of the community. But what happens if, for instance, someone, I was studying this with somebody yesterday, what happens if somebody um, you know, raised Jewish, then converts to another thing and then wants to come back? Can you allow him back? How do you allow him back, etc.? Boundaries are a little more flexible. You could just say Yisrael Yisrael who he sinned, but he's come back. Nothing. Or you say because he left the boundary and went moved outside the boundary, he has to have the uh, the responsibility of doing rituals to be back in the boundary, a reconversion, a reaffirmation, a going to the mikvah, whatever the case may be. So there is a tension, I would suggest, between Knesset Yisrael and the Kodesh Baruch Hu in that sense, which is more important. In our society today, in Jewish life, um, you were finding more and more be involved people be involved in the peoplehood concept. The the, you, the phrase peoplehood is a very interesting one. It's being used all over the place. That's what birthrights about. That's what the, the eye centers about, etc. There is no good Hebrew word for for peoplehood. Amiut is what's used. Amiut. It's a modern Hebrew word. It's not a value concept. They had to make up a word, which means it's not necessarily part of the ancient way of understanding. It was just accepted you were part of Knesset Yisrael. 
Today, where, people, where people's identities are fluid and you have to give them positive experiences in order to bring them back, peoplehood has become the new Jewish continuity concept. Because the religious thing is just too difficult to teach and, and too difficult to, to, to deal with in, in a number of communities. And the peoplehood concept, as strong as it is, then leads to, all right, then what about your fellow Jew and your particularism and your fellow human being universalism and the state of Israel and whether you think it's doing the right thing or not. It's not so simple either. So I, I would define this faith and, and the peoplehood as two parts of Jewish life, the vertical and the horizontal. One of the reasons we have difficulty, believe it or not, in interfaith dialogue with Christians is because they really don't get it. They don't have a peoplehood concept. They have a faith concept, but not a peoplehood concept. And if take away the issues of the state of Israel, it would actually be easier to dialogue with Muslims because they do have one. The Ummah that they have is, is a peoplehood concept in addition to having a faith concept. And they are much closer to us in kind of these kind of things. Um, but we've got something that's kind of the elephant in the room whenever we talk to Muslims, needless to say. So uh, I would say to you that there are times one takes precedence over the other, but today it, it's, an on, it's a continual struggle which one becomes more important in this realm. You know, people ask me, both of them are very important. And what, you may want to stress one over the other at certain times. For instance, you know, Pikuach Nefesh Doch Shabbat. If someone's life is at stake, forget about Shabbos. You know, you don't have the, the okay? On the other hand, you know, Shabbos is, as Chadaram says, more than the Jews kept, Israel kept the Shabbat, the Shabbat kept the Jewish people. So you have the, these contexts. And in the society in which we live, where the identities are unbelievably fluid, uh, and people continue to, 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 follow, to find themselves in different identities and in different socioeconomic kind of issues, people has become a very important part of the educational system everywhere specifically dealing with Israel education but even even I would say in almost all kinds of education too and again the buzzwords Betsy and I go back to Jewish continuity remember that statement we were part of co conferences then you don't hear that anymore now it's a lot about peoplehood we don't want to you don't hear Jewish continuity no that's not a buzzword anymore am I correct in the 90s that was the buzzword after the 80s after the 80s came up with the interfaith marriage system it was all about Jewish continuity Conferences. Renaissance and, renewal. Renaissance and renewal. I was on that pillar, yes, too. Remember? We did a lot of, uh, in those cases, the UJC days of Renaissance and renewal pillars, right? Um, but now you don't hear that anymore. You hear peoplehood. That's become the new motto. Whether it'll stay, and birthright has a lot to do with that. Uh, whether it'll stay or we'll move to something else in the future, I don't know. There's no saving grace of anything right now. It's a very tough situation to keep people Jewish in that realm. So I would say that, yes, there are times when they're in conflict. There are times when one takes supremacy over the other. And the question is, are they two parallel roads or are they two intersecting roads? I see them as two intersecting roads. Isn't that the, uh, the emphasis in the Reconstructionists? Movement. The Reconstructionist movement would be fair to say that, that that at least Kaplan's concept of Reconstructionism was a whole sense of peoplehood as the main thing, yes. Reconstruction has undergone its own Reconstructionism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it is right now. Depending, depends on the synagogue to a large extent. But yes, 
He was much more of a peoplehood concept. Correct. Anybody else? Yes. Um, in this quotation that we're dealing with, I'm reading that Musar and Torah are equal. But the word Musar has taken on new meaning today, correct? I well, there was a, there's a whole met methodology of Musar, right. okay, which is piety, ethics, appropriate conduct. Okay? It's still the same word in that sense, because that's what it means. Uh, Musara Bicha can be the, the good ethics, the good conduct <coughs> of your father. Um, but Musara, in, probably then it meant the teachings. And I don't think that's. So it, it was a word that's, that's been transformed a little bit into a certain kind of literature, but its basic foundation or emphasis of being both teaching and appropriate ethics of behavior, I think, is still there. Okay. Go ahead. Who's Yeravam ben Nevat? He was a king. That's a good start. Who was Yeravam ben Nevat? Where's Franklin? First, first split off. I uh, looking. Okay. Oh, he was the one that uh, the kingdom split. Thank you. Yeravam ben Nevat is one of the worst of the Jewish of the kings because he was the one who was the one in the south. He who broke off the ten tribes to the north. Who was Solomon's son? Who was who kept the two king the kingdom? Huh? Rechavam. Rechavam. So during the Shlomo's time, there were issues. During Rechavam's time, he says, "I'm going to be." If you think my father was was tough, I'm going to be even tougher and eventually Ravam ben Nevat established the northern kingdom and they broke off and he did a number of things one, he took people away from Jerusalem he established alternate sanctuaries two, he actually went back, there are theories in biblical literature that he went perhaps went back to the Cheta Egil and that's where it comes from right? Okay, to the, to the golden calf because he established, he put calves on the way to Jerusalem as a way of saying these are our boundaries. Yeravam ben Nevat was considered to be the worst of the worst because he broke apart the kingdom and established an alternative form of worship which is against Deuteronomy of the central sanctuary and against the Davidic kingdom. So when you're saying, if you follow the books of, of Shoftim, Malachim, Malachim in particular, you'll see he followed the ways of Yeravam, which is not horrible. So Yeravam ben Nevat, this is saying anybody, okay, what is Chaverhu Lish Mashkit? It's as bad as being a part of Yeravam ben Nevat's Kadra, Sheshkit at Yisrael Avim Shashemayim, who destroyed Israel's relationship to the God and their Father in heaven. That's like, if you know the, 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 the metaphor here, almost as bad as you can get. Almost as bad as you can get. So looking back at the verse, Gozel Avivi Imo, with the Aviv being your father, the Imo in this case perhaps in the Knesset Yisrael, Omer Ein Pasha, I haven't really done anything wrong, Chaver Huli Ish Mashchit. It's as if he's as bad as Yeravam ben Nevad. That's pretty tough language in Talmudic mottos and metaphors. Meaning, you better follow what's right, which is Sebracha. 
It's as if he, whatever, Ma'al, they use a different language to Gozel, etc. So under these kind of conditions, don't put yourself into the cadre of your Ram Nevat. Learn Brachot, say them, all will be good with your life in the world. Why is he Ben Nevat if he's Ben Solomon? He's not. Rechavam is Ben Solomon. This is your Ravam in the Northern Kingdom. Rechavam. No, 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 no. He's a totally separate person. Rechavam was Solomon's son who sat on the on the throne afterwards. Yeravam was the rebel who led the Northern Kingdoms in the in the north. Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Okay. What? Tax collector, they picked taxes, they made sure nothing went to Jerusalem. That was the big key. That's why it was so bad. To the Malachi, in the book of Malachim, any person who does not take Jerusalem as the central shrine and sanctuary, and anybody who does allows worship, idol worship, is the worst possible thing. So they're written in the Deuteronomics kind of style, which is central sanctuary and the worship of one God. A strange question occurred. Yeah. What about saying a different bracha? That is, what if it's not a, a, a example? You're on the table with Christians, and they make a thank you God for the food. It's not a bracha per se, but it's a. Does it, 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 it count? The, the does it count? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked lately. The. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ask the chacham, you know. Well, the, the answer is, from a ritual point of view, is it appropriate to say amen, first of all? Okay? Because normally, okay? okay? So I would say as long as, in the name of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Ghost, I'm not sure I'd say amen to that. Right. Okay? But a, a, a simple thing, the answer is in our interfaith relationships, I would say absolutely yes. I would say absolutely yes. Um, but I would also say my own bracha, too, of my own tradition. That's not my tradition necessarily. Again, as we've said before, the the Christians don't do the blessings afterwards. Their big thing is beforehand. Again, it's in opposition to to what our normal custom was. Um, and so, you know, every, every dinner I go to, everybody does motzi. Almost nobody does berkatamazon. Halachically, berkatamazon is the key part. Okay, that just halachically it's a pekeh. So what you you have here is, I would say, you know, when you're in interfaith kinds of things today. Most of the people are sensitive, but not everybody. And sometimes I've been in in interfaith kind of things where they've said, from your own tradition, recite what you want to do. Okay? That's already fair. From my own tradition, then I'll do mine, you do yours, and if that's your tradition and doesn't include me, that's okay. But if you're going to include me, then include me properly. But I mean, means I agree. Uh, it, depending what they said, thank you God for the food that we're going to eat, for the tape, for the fellowship that we're going to have, for the collegiality that we're going to say. I can say I'm to that. Yeah. I can say I'm to that. I said if they said we thank you God and the Son of the Father, I can't say that. There's certain things I can't say. All right, those of you who grew up with the winter song pageant, there were certain songs you felt comfortable singing and certain songs you didn't feel comfortable singing, right? And you just kind of mouthed them. <laughs> I mean, it really. So there are certain. What I've do, you know, I've done in my career lots of interfaith stuff. Not doing as much right now, but when we're in a and they say, we and normally that's the kind of prayer it is. We thank you, God, 
for allowing us to come together, for the food that we're going to eat, for the fellowship that we have, for the collegiality that, that we profess, and a sense of love of our community and of humanity. Can I say amen to that? Absolutely. But if they're going to use words or, or, or phrases or theological concepts that I can't accept, Mm, well, you know, don't expect me to say, oh, sure, absolutely. Okay, right. So that, that's what I would say, friend. You're sensitive to, la you know, having done this all for a long time, you're sensitive to language and you have to be very careful in, in what you say and when you say it. They probably wouldn't notice whether you said I'm in or not. Eh, they might be looking at it. <laughs> they always look at Rabbi. Somebody's always well, looking. <laughs> you know? You know, like when I went to Bernadine's funeral, it was because I was president of the Board of Rabbis. I went, but I didn't do any the prayers. But I felt it was a respectful thing to go. It was all over the Jewish people and, and the Jews of Chicago, etc. Sure, great. Okay, shall we go forward? Okay. Yeah, we've still got a few minutes. Okay, so Rabbi Hanina, this is the same kind of concept. I'm going to take my produce at its proper time. Okay, it's a verse from Hosea. And on the other side, you shall take it at that point. So, what the question is here, if you look, look at the language, I'm going to take at its appropriate time. And the other one is, you shall take it presumably at any time. Okay? So, when Israel does the will of God then they will be able to take the, the Dagan and what is the Dagan? is actually the wheat okay? the wheat that's been cut in those cases it won't be available to them so what you have here is a theological concept of we merit what we get on this earth we merit the food we eat yeah this book translates it and says, I will take back my grain at its time, and you shall gather your grain. Right. Right. That's fair. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Um, let me just see something. No, Tosfat simply talks about whether it's a Yitzhadikim Gimurim. So, the, the, the concept being, it, again, when you merit what's from above, from the food, you say a bracha, or you follow God's words, then it becomes yours. If you don't, you're not going to gain the benefit therefrom. All right, we'll try to do a little more. Okay, 
וזש בשעת ש"ס וזורה בשעת הרוח, תורה מדעי עליה, אלא בזמן שישראל עושים רצונו של מקום, מלאכתם נעשית על ידי אחרים, שנאמר, ועמדו זרים וראו צורכם וגומר. ובזמן שאין ישראל עושים רצונו של מקום, מלאכתם נעשית על ידי עצמם. Okay, all right. This is a long piece, but it, it, it's a very interesting piece, too. Ten Rabbanan, v'yasavta deganecha, you shall officially, you know, gather your crops, your wheat. What does it mean? L'fi shenemar lo yamush Torah sefer aset mipicha. Meaning, you're supposed to study Torah, yom v'layla, yomam v'layla. Okay? Yakhol duvarim kiftavan, how is it possible to vote? If you work in the field, you work in the field. That's a full-time job. If you study Torah, presumably, it's a full-time job. How is it possible to do both appropriately at the very same time? Talmud Lomar v'yasavta deganecha. Hanheig bahen minhad derech eretz. All right, let's spend a couple minutes on that phrase. What is derech eretz? Okay. Most of us, they have derech eretz means you have manners and respect. Okay, in, in what's known as the Masechto Tanot, in, in the small tractates of the of the Bible of the Talmud, there is a there is a derech eretz. There's a Masechet derech eretz and derech eretz rabba, etc. How do you respect somebody? But that's not officially what derech eretz meant. Not in Perkei Avot. It's Torah im derech eretz. What does Torah im derech eretz means? The way of the world. And the way of the world to them meant work. Torah im derech eretz was not merely, they became a later etymology to be respect, but its original concept was work. So Rabbi Yishmael basically says, Hanheg bahem minhag derech eretz. You will be able to do this in the same way as when you have to give time to gathering the wheat you'll give time to gathering the wheat but at the same time when you have times to study go and study right? one of the mottos of YU Yeshiva University is Torahim Derech Eretz so this is one of the sort of proof text for why the Haredim should be more integrated correct. in society. Correct. Absolutely. It is we have to be in the yeshiva all day. Correct. Right. Correct. Right? Why well, it was based on the concept of both work and study. There was a great exhibit like 20 years ago at the Jewish Museum in New York, I think in the kids section when we were there with our kids, and it was when computers were first used in museum exhibitions, and it was you know, this rabbi from the Talmud did this, he was right. a sandal maker, he was, and it really made an impression. This was not their full-time job. It was right. only later in the Middle Ages the rabbis became full-time employees. It was not... In Israel. Uh, hmm? Israel is a whole different issue, right. <laughs> now, Shimon Bar Yachai is, of course, a very interesting person. Okay, student of Rabbi Akiva. He's the one, if you remember the story, who was persecuted, ran away with his son, hid in the cave, lived that way for, supposedly did the Zohar, eventually came out of the cave, saw the people were, were working and saying, this doesn't make sense, you're studying Torah. They were sent back to the cave. Shimon Bar-Yachai actually learned his job, learned his task, and uh, 
said this person's doing when they came back out again that they're going to um, this person at least working with God's land in order to give back to God his son never did and the son was sent out to the cave again once more it's a story of that's supposed to show you that Torah itself can be a very you can be very passionate about it but you have to live in this world you have to live in this world it's a very fact of course the story is that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai was on Meiron and Lagva Omer and all that kind of stuff too what? yeah yeah, right. That's the same word. So, what does he say here? Yeshar adam choresh bishak harisha. Okay, that you're going to thresh at the time of threshing. Zorea bishat zria. Okay, to plant at the time of the proper planting. Kotzer. Kotzer is to cut. Bishat kitzira. Dash. Dash is really to thresh. Bishat didisha. Vizore. Zore means to spread it. Bishat haruach. Torah matehealeha. Well, if you're going to do all that, when do you have even a chance to study Torah? All right, how, how is it possible? All right, what's really what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai really wants people to do is study Torah. If you're going to be involved in your daily passion, work and everything else, you're not going to have time to be able to do that. So what does he say? When Israel does the will of God, melachtan naset ayedei achirim you'll have others do the work for you. The work will get done, but you don't have to do it. Remember, Shimon Bar Yachai was passionate about Torah. Okay? His view wasn't accepted. That will be, in a sense, uh, a blessing. Yeshayahu, 61st chapter, that others will take care of your tzon, of your sheep. When they don't do God's will, then they're going to have to do their own work. How do I know? You're going to have to create the opportunities to get ready yourself. This is, a, again, the Minhag Derecher is a very important concept um, because it does relate to today. It's not just respect, but in, in Talmudic terms or in rabbinic terms, it, it was a whole sense of what it means to be a member of this world in a real life situation, which was both to study Torah and to work. Shimon Bar was clearly on the study of Torah part. You can see Yishmael was, you know, again, it's not surprising. Who was Rabbi Yishmael, Shimon Bar Yochai's teacher? Rabbi Akiva. So this is a disagreement between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yishmael, which is not unusual whatsoever. Rabbi Akiva lived his whole life through Torah. Okay? So, we'll stop there right now, but you can see already they're saying the importance of, blessing, of blessings before and is critical to your um, understanding of the world and how you live it, um, how your relationship is with God, and even how your relationship is with Knesset Yisrael, with the entirety of the people of Israel. Okay? Thank you. Thank you.